0: Cliffcentral.com
1: All right. Uh, cliffcentral.com on a very beautiful uh, Thursday morning and we are looking at just after 7 o'clock we've got the burning platform this is your chance to catch up on all the big events of the week and to make sure that you know what's going on in the news we've got uh, two great guests on with us this morning of course Pumi Mashiko is here as usual to make um, sense of a very crazy world we already spent (laughs) a good half hour earlier talking about Russia and China (laughs) I'm
2: glad we did because we don't have time to speak about Russia and the Berlin
1: platforms. Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but we, we who knows? We may even have more of that in the next uh, hour or so. We'll see how it goes because I'm sure that our guests have something to say about that too. But before we get... Oh, there's
2: a space happening right now on Twitter with 18,000 people talking about this Ukrainian invasion. Ooh. Like it's, it's happening live. It, it's like shock and awe. And you know what's so funny
1: is that uh, 18,000 people is but a fraction of the number of troops that Vladimir Putin has arrayed on the border of the ukraine and some of them already entering in so you know what that little eighteen thousand chat group on twitter <laughs> you, guys, yeah, you guys you guys you
2: guys you
1: wouldn't make up a percentage of the uh, the military might that is being um, shown off by russia at the moment <laughs> right there on all right
2: but yesterday
1: but we have we have domestic issues so maybe we should start with those and welcome our guests and then we'll, we'll get to all of this right poems
2: yeah well. all
1: right so first up Uh, He is a a returning champion here, and I always say that because uh, you're a very popular guest here, Lieto. When when you join us, people are like, oh, God, he's going to depress us, but he's going to tell us the truth. (laughs) So we're happy to have you back. It's nice to see you. Good
0: morning to, <laughs> gareth Good morning Pumi.
1: yeah try not to, try not to upset hello, boots. Uh, try not to upset everyone too much this morning leto Lito doba is co- of course a lecturer at Central University of technology a debater socio political analyst and this morning he's got lots of things on the agenda which we'll get to in a moment but also I'm thrilled to have anthea Gardner hello anthea how are you?
3: Good morning, Gareth. Morning, it's nice Truman. to see you. Good to be back.
1: Hello. Yeah, it's nice to see you. So people wouldn't let me get away with not playing your theme music. So here it is, just to please the people who know you. <laughs> I mean, really, Anthea, you can't go anywhere. Give
2: yes, the people what
1: they want. You can't go I anywhere agree. without your theme music playing, right? Yeah, if it's not
3: here, it's a
1: Right. She, basically, Anthea walks to her table at a restaurant and people start singing, she works hard for the money. So there it is. All right, Anthea Gardner, nice to see you too. We've obviously, guys, got to start with the budget because yesterday our Minister of Finance tabled his budget and there are some headlines that we need to take from that, things that actually affect our bottom line. So Anthea, do you want to start us off and give us a little pricey of what was, um, what was tabled at Parliament yesterday? Or not at Parliament, oh, Cape Town City Hall, but you know what we mean. Yeah, I know what you mean.
3: Um, It's kind of an overview. I think everyone wanted a piece of this budget, as usual. And the finance minister, in his inaugural speech yesterday, did well to keep everyone happy, I think, mostly. Um, The good news, let's start there first. Um, We had 182 billion rand revenue overrun from the uh, commodity boom. Um, So thank you to the mining companies. But I must point out that the – Finance minister was acutely aware that this was a tailwind that wasn't going to last forever. You know, we've had super high commodity prices, and we've taken advantage of it. So, sure. well done, you know, to everyone. Um, and then everyone's talking about this corporate tax rate that was dropped from twenty eight to twenty seven percent, and the, the the idea that it's not government's job to create employment. Um, and so, two things out of that: it is government's job to create a good working environment to help economic growth. Um, So definitely a step in the right direction. Unfortunately though, um, that uh, 1% drop in the corporate income tax rate actually still means that we're five, uh, five percentage points higher than the OECD average. You know, so it's still not great to do business in South Africa, and there's a whole lot of structural issues that we need to face. I mean, and the finance minister can is I, can very I just,
1: much uh, aware. Let me just interrupt on this one. Sorry, uh, uh, is this purely cosmetic? Is this like almost to extend an olive branch, or because it doesn't look like it makes a huge difference to anybody? One percentage point drop in the corporate tax rate, and I know that all the communists and all the the quasi-communists in the in the in Parliament are going to moan and balk at this idea. Like, no, we've got to drain every cent of tax we can out of the business community. But this isn't helping business, and frankly, it's not placating them. So what is it doing?
3: Gareth, I don't think you can move from 28% to 20% in a heartbeat. So Uh, it's a step in the right direction. Um, You're right, it it does very little. But I think, and and kind of I've heard quite a few businessmen speak on this, people are appreciative appreciative
1: of it. All right. We'll take I it. I
3: mean,
2: Gusima Vuso yesterday. yesterday on the Mail and Guardian Space also talking about that. And I suppose it's consistent with, that, with what the president said, you know, to say that private sector is what's going to create jobs and mm. it's not going to be government. You know, so then it's, it's consistent because then you want to alleviate some of the pressure on the private sector. Although a couple of pages down the speech, he then says they're putting yes. aside How many billions for the development of jobs for young
3: people? Uh, I think that was 7.6 billion Rand, if I'm not mistaken, if I can remember correctly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and then of course, you you know, as individuals, we get a 5 billion Rand, just over 5 billion Rand, tax relief, which seems fairly arbitrary as well to me, Um, especially when you consider that he mentioned. That South Africa now pays grants to more than 46% of the population. Oh, Jesus. That is, and this with a shrinking taxpayer pool, that is just completely
1: 46% of our population is receiving grants because they are either unemployed or because they have uh, extenuating circumstances. Oh, my God
2: so let me put most of those people by number. the way most of those people live
1: in lieto's neighborhood
2: <laughs> let exactly me put this context to the unemployment number the unemployed people in south africa are equal to the entire populations of luxembourg zimbabwe and i think malawi right so entire population man woman and child of three countries is the yeah, number so, of unemployed people we have in
0: South Africa. Yeah, so basically if we take all the unemployed people and take them into Botswana or Namibia, we'll win the country. We can invade them and take their country over and then leave the unemployed people there. But also <laughs> I think the, <laughs> the, the, the 7 billion rand for, for when they say for the development of jobs for young people, I think that for me is the most insulting part that's a slap in the face right because you know what that development for work for young people is it's these people who are taken over positions like um sanitizers like the, the you know mm. people are getting paid like that's how desperate the job situation is they hired people to stand at the gate at high schools and primary schools to sanitize the kids hands right and those people apparently their jobs are going to be extended so you're basically going to be standing at the gate now so let's assume that the sanitizer isn't needed anymore because we're about to beat COVID. So what's going to happen then? And I think it's it's really insulting to say that's the, for the development of jobs Also, for
1: young people. Maybe It's you... to
0: placate young people.
1: Maybe you know the answer to this, but, but Anthea, perhaps you also do. Where is that uh, money going to go? Is it going to go to the NYDA or something? Because you remember what a disaster yes, they, they are. Just... Yeah, you remember the Na- National Youth Development uh, Agency. I mean, w- what a waste of money that has been over the years. <laughs>
3: it's going to go away, Karen. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I don't know if I agree with you on the Yes for Youth program. I know quite a few private companies that have employed a number of interns or youngsters who have been unemployed. So the average, um, well, the average, the minimum that they pay interns is 4000 rand a month, which is not a lot. But then corporates can um increase or subsidize or or kind of the salary if they want to and i know it hasn't created the four million jobs for youth that um the president spoke about at the launch of the um organization or whatever you want to call it the program but i i think it has i've seen certainly that it has created a couple of jobs
0: um yeah, I, I, I don't disagree with Anthea. And Yes for Youth is a great program when you think about it, right? In, in, in conception, it's a great conceptual program. But if you don't get the jobs where people need it, um, if you're going to have the jobs where the companies are, it means the people who are going to benefit from that is the people or the young people who are in Johannesburg, who are in Cape Town. So if you're in a small rural town somewhere, you're still out of luck when you want to get a job, right? But i think oh. the biggest issue is the jobs that government is targeting to create now they want to slowly abandon yes for youth because they want us to forget about it and what they want to do is to placate the young people in small towns and and give them these these jobs where that aren't even jobs right they're paying them to stand at the gate to see if the kids arrive to lock the gate at the school it's it's not even a security job if you if you call them security guards it would have been something else right. but it's like these nondescript jobs that just try to give them money in order for them not to get the 350 grand that they used to get.
1: So, so Lieto... Really...
2: Re- you know what I call it? Re- yes. Recycling poverty. Yes. It's recycling yeah. poverty. That's exactly it, right. It simply is keeping people just out of the poverty, but not enough to get out of it. You know, so it's just a, a recycling of this poverty. I saw... You're spending all of your time to work at this menial job so that you get this minimum wage and are unable to spend any more time either bettering yourself or studying something else or you know and you're unable to spend that money that you're getting to move into like
1: well corona corona's boring three months in in the comments corona's boring has already shown what we may be heading towards the hand sanitizer workers union that uh, that is un- that is probably the most likely <laughs> offshoot of, of what's going on here koketso says though and this is a depressing reality south africa is now a welfare state in every possible interpretation of that word and we we shouldn't be proud of this you know government almost goes out there and says every time anyone asks oh no but we're providing welfare for all these people No one wants to. No one in the world world wants to be on welfare if they could possibly do better. No one on earth wants that. For government to think that that's an acceptable thing to be trumpeting around is very, very depressing.
2: But speaking of welfare... The SOEs get more welfare too, hey Anthea.
1: Hmm. Oh, yeah. oh, the uh, <laughs>
3: electricity elephant in the room, right? Yeah. I mean, so he he managed to avoid that, I think, quite succinctly. Really, um, I I don't even know where to start. He, you know, he kind of spoke about tough love on SOEs, and you know, we can ill afford bailouts. I think were his words. But then, by the the same token, we don't really have a choice. (laughs) And and the question here about ESCOM is really whether government takes all that debt onto their balance sheet or leaves it on ESCOM's balance sheet. And the only reason, in my view, for taking it onto uh, the the government's balance sheet is because government can raise debt cheaper than ESCOM can do it. Other than that, I mean, and then, of course, you, you have to look at the fact that total government debt is already over four trillion rand. And this is a country paralyzed by debt, paralyzed by non-functioning SOEs. Um, And and I I think, you you know, not to harp on the unemployment thing, but if we just resolved some of these issues and fixed some of the kind of non-performing assets that government holds, that would create jobs actually. And, and solve
1: a major problem in our country. Well, uh, Leto, I know you've got some points of view on the on the overall budget. Do you want to throw in what, what you have to say here? Because I, Anthea is very polite about this and she's good at this because she analyzes the, the, the macro. But I, I, I think people like you and Pumi and I pick apart the m- minute details of this and we, we find things we like and we find things we don't like. But what is your overall feeling about the budget?
0: Um, you, you know, the overall feeling is that for me is that yes, the, the the ANC did what they needed to do for one with the companies and the corporate side because they now going to accede to the fact that these people need to make jobs that the government is really really crap at making jobs, but also the way in which they make jobs they can't distribute those jobs to people equitably. So mm-hmm. even if the government makes jobs, somebody's cousin or uncle is going to take that job, right? But I think also the bad part was it is sort of a backtrack for poor people. So if you're poor in this country and you listen to that budget speech, there was nothing for you in that speech, right? Even if they're saying they're raising grants, they're doing all of these things, the efforts that the government is making to alleviate poverty. And I'm not saying there's no social grant that will alleviate poverty. If you give them 350 rand or 1,500 rand, you're not alleviating my poverty. I mean, the, a clear roadmap financially of getting people from poor to at least surviving. There's nothing of that sort in that in, in that document. So if you're living in a small town, if you're in Valkom, if you're in Volmaranstad, you're you you basically for for the next foreseeable future. Right? Let's say for the next year, you must just take your poverty and eat the pup with it.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean that's true. And and again, the, it's almost it's become like a like a you're watching a really bad play where you know the ANC panders to poor people, but they do nothing for them. They're like, we're here for you, but we're not going to do anything for you. So forget about it. Um, and there's really nothing in the budget for the unemployed. There's, there's never anything in the budget for the unemployed. There's never anything in policy making for the unemployed. So, Anthea, what do you think the the, the prospects for, for business are, besides this 1% cut in corporate tax? Are there any other reasons for business to be optimistic about the budget?
3: I'm afraid I don't really think so. What was weird was that the finance minister said, for the first time, and I think it was like 12 years in a budget speech, that they're expecting lower GDP growth in the next, you know how they always predict it in the, for the next three years. For the next three years, they're expecting GDP growth to be on average 1.8%, which is lower, much lower than where it is at the moment. Um, So so I don't know, is that maybe a turnaround? Because they've always predicted higher GDP growth and then always got it wrong. So now maybe Mm. if they're predicting lower GDP growth, if they get it wrong, we'll see higher GDP growth, which is really the only way to fix the problems in our country. I mean, even kind of uh, um, uh, promising not to increase public servants' wages, I'm not sure that's correct uh, you know there are lots no. of teachers who and nurses who have to get paid through that purse um and and they're doing great jobs and we need to keep them happy to keep working and doing their best at it um but we do worry about that public servant um wage bill don't we mm-hmm. so positive oh tough one gareth wow I, Sorry, i'm trying to I'm, rack my brain
1: <laughs> yeah I I, I I know i know leto's not going to give us any positivity so i was hoping you would but uh, uh.
2: You you know what um, he didn't talk about, which for me was, was quite a marked kind of thing to look at. Before he talked about the kind of lifelines that they are still going to give to the SOEs, I had hoped that he would even as a three, second, three sentence passing mention. Give us a little bit of a report back on the progress that has been made by the task team the president put together that was going to like look at the SOEs in 2020 already, right? <laughs> <laughs> is that you? Just the passing mention, guys, just say, uh, you know that task team we started mm. in 2020? This is the progress they've made. And because of what they are telling us, this is how we're dealing with SOEs. Nothing, crickets.
3: <laughs> which, Puma, really... you're, you're spot on. There were so many missed um, talking points in this budget speech. It was quite scary, actually, that he didn't mention half the things that we thought he would
1: well he's yeah, new and, but, he's new to the job also, i like, mean give him a chance
2: <laughs> uh, even if, even as he's new to the job you could have given those 23 pages to those 23 pages could have been delivered by tito Mbowini and his pilgrims. there was it, there's absolutely nothing in those 23 pages of speech that say this is a new minister there is fresh thinking there's a new way of there's a new perspective there's a this it's
0: Hell. Well, but I, I, I think Pumi is more hopeful than all of us. Actually, if you ever hear the term task team, inquiry, war room, um, special imbizo, if you hear for all those four words, know that the government is saying we're about to relax and do
2: nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Look, but Leoto, it's, it's important because we have a president who has a propensity of creating parallel structures that he brings into his presidency that are supposedly going to, to make a difference, alleviate something. Wasn't he just talking about a chief like red tape cutter? last week when he gave his speech. So, and and what's a worry and something that we must look at and keep an eye out for is those task teams, if we don't get feedback on them, it means one of two things. Either they did give a report because those task teams and those parallel structures are only accountable to the president, right? They are not part of the... They're not going to be standing next to a parliamentary committee giving feedback or or being held over the polls. They are only accountable to the president. So it either means they did give him a report and he didn't like what the report had to say. We will never know. Or they're not doing anything. They're Mm -hmm. just sitting there and there are no reports coming out of there. And we're not going to know. They are all accountable to the president. Your, your president is learning to become a dictator. That's all I'm saying to you, especially after what Tabumbeki said when he was out there in the free state.
1: Yeah. Tell us about so, what tell us about what Tabo Mbeki said there quickly, little because I know that he's been doing this conference tour uh, around the country and he spelt out the Catch-22 of the ANC's demise. Just explain what that actually means.
0: Yeah, right. So here's the problem. The ANC is talking about renewal under Cy right everyone is saying renewal renewal we're ready for a new ANC now there's there's a really big problem because the problem was initially created by the NEC, especially Gwede Mandashi right hmm. um, Gwede was the one who started disbanding branches right. and so now what the ANC is left with is ghost branches for the most part so if you if you hear somebody's been elected to the ANC provincial um, structure in Northwest Free State, um, the Northern Cape, you must know that 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 person elected themselves. They're just um, getting people on buses who aren't even ANC members to just go raise hands, right? So here's the problem. So the ANC operates from this downward, down-facing triangle structure. The the power of the party, where it's centered around the branches, the more branches they have, the more powerful they are as an NEC. So the NEC is actually just um, the affirmation of power. So the NEC now acknowledges that they are an orphan structure. They say that the branches are weak and there's nothing that we can do, so we need to renew. Now, Tabombeki comes out and spells out and says, we need to audit all the branches on branch level because those um, branches are actually giving us the result of poor leadership, right? Mm. And then they say, we also put the responsibility of renewal on the branches. So the branches must tell us what renewal looks like, what a new ANC is, what the leadership looks like, and where the focus is. And so it's like you saying, I'm an orphan, I'm an orphan structure, my parents are dead, but my parents need to tell me what I need to be in the future. (laughs) You understand? And so now it shows you that the ANC is dead. And for for the most part, at this branch level, everyone is in it for their benefit. I want to be a counselor, I want to have a job, I want to be deployed. And so nobody's trying to build the ANC for the ANC's sake. People are trying to build an ANC to alleviate my poverty state. Right. And so now, how, how am I going, if I can't innovate my way out of poverty, how do you expect me to innovate a party out of redundancy, right? Well, I and mean, so it, look, this is,
1: can I just say that even yeah. e- the symbolism of trotting out a former president, the only one who's still alive, and, and asking him to go out to renew is That tells you the whole story. I mean, this, this is the this is the guy who should be enjoying his retirement. Can you imagine how much persuasion was involved in saying to Tabor, "Listen, if you don't get out there, the whole ANC is dead." And he's like, "Oh, <laughs> I don't know." About it. I mean, he, did, okay. he didn't, want to, of, didn't like, want to take a, a, a break from his whiskey. He was quite happy. Thank you very much. <laughs> At
2: the risk, I've said and, this and before, so I'm, and going to weed, yeah.
1: <laughs> I'm
2: going to preface my comment. Ah. With, with the disclaimer and right. my disclaimer is i love Tabombeki. i disagree with a lot of things that a lot of policies not a lot some of the policies and i've done work for the tabo Mbeke foundation so okay. there is my disclaimer right on, before i That's say what i'm going
1: up to front. say go ahead i,
2: I think <clears throat> the 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 kind of trotting out of tabo Mbeke, yeah right, is just yet a slow death. The giant is falling and there is nothing that they can do about it. And they're hoping that trotting out Tawambeki will prop up the people that are there. And he will lend his name and credibility Mm. back to the people who have lost it for the ANC. Mm -hmm. However, when he comes out and perpetuates this fallacy, that without the ANC, the country is lost. I call bullshit, right? (laughs) Of course, this country will continue without the ANC. In fact, this country must continue without the ANC. The truth of the matter is that the ANC's Failure in the coming polls has been spelled out, not by their own inadequacy, but by history of the movements of liberation movements around the world Mm -hmm. in Israel, in South America and Africa is littered with that history. 20 to 30 years, right? They knew that history and they had an opportunity to change that for South Africa and they haven't. They've gone down the trajectory of what every other liberating party has done and their time is over.
0: Um, You know, to defend Tabo though, just for for a little bit, he has to say that. You have to stand in front of your people and say, countries were important. No. We, we are, we, the world needs us. If we don't no. say that, these parasites that are tearing the ANC apart right now will just keep going, and so if if you try to redirect them in a positive way, that's just Tabo Mbeki trying his best to redirect the parasites and the and the and the tenderpreneurs to something more positive.
2: For Unfortunately <laughs> for Tabo, he is in this uh, situation that the, the Babedi call mm. homuya mushati. <laughs> he. Is, he is uh, what would the English so he's that's 22 guys, right, you. you must know I'm angry when I'm now only speaking in the vernacular my head is, is not computing in the English anymore <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He is. He is because Tabo Beke should have actually and and must take some of the blame for what has happened to the ANC because he was one of the people that brought weak people around him who have grown to become the, because he needed that power because he wanted to be the cleverest person in the room. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, when you bring in weak people around you, you are left with what? A weak party when you are gone. He should have stayed home with his whiskey.
1: Well, I mean, he he screwed up even while he was president by thinking that yes. he he was smarter than the the coalition of the disenCHANTed that gathered around him and eventually ousted him from power, as you may recall. I mean, we, there were some of us. I'll admit, I was I was a, I was more of a Tabumbeki fan uh, then than I knew, but I was quite excited about what the the novelty of what Jacob Zuma was bringing. Would be. My, I remember my, a debate, my... Gareth.
2: I remember a debate yeah. where you stood very firmly on the side of yeah. Jacob Zuma is what we
1: need. And was I wrong? Absolutely. <laughs> you were talking about you were talking about Fred Kumalo, to, you know, admitting that he was wrong uh, about uh, the IOL thing. Yes, I'm I'm admitting uh, I, I, I was wrong then. I many remember times.
2: saying a populist president is not what we need, and that we're going to miss Tabombeki. Mm-hmm. We're going to we're actually going to miss Tabombeki because. Under Tabo Beki, we, we had some growth
3: there, yeah, and did. yeah, you know. In, I, I was just thinking in Tabo's defense, he had um, Trevor Manuel and as his finance minister, and by far, this country's best finance minister in my lifetime, anyway.
1: Sure. Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Oh, yeah. I was in a conversation about a week and a half ago with the former IRR chief, something. And, and he told me an astounding, astounding statistic that under Tabumbeki, there was a time when we were building 10 RDP houses for every one shack that was standing.
1: Wow.
3: What?
1: See, that, was what? A, that was something to be proud of. Yeah. And by the way, um, if you if
0: you, here's one more thing about the ANC, is that the most likely outcome of their Congress in the, the, um, the annual Congress is that um, Cyril is going to be president again of the ANC. It's been pronounced by the, the only province that's been that's holding out is the Northwest and Eastern Cape. Everyone else is on the bandwagon of him going for a second term.
2: You know, there's so much shit going on in this country. One of the things that we completely missed yesterday is what is happening in Bloemfontein there with uh, Ace Machashulez? Mm.
1: Well, Lino, uh, you, you tell us.
2: You know, what tell, tell is us. happening with Ace case out there in Bloemfontein, guys?
0: It's falling apart. Because <laughs> I, it's falling apart because the major witness was a girl from Valcom actually, Mm -hmm. who was his PA. This girl was given a bursary of some kind by the government to go study in America. And so when she's being trotted out by the government as the leading witness in this case, suddenly Ace Mahashule's lawyers are her lawyers. Mm -hmm. Suddenly after a couple of months, she doesn't want to testify anymore. And then she can't be found in this America because now nobody can get a hold of her. No one in Velcom, none of her friends, anyone she's literally just gone off the face of the planet and so now the NPA is in the, the 70 charges were going to be confirmed by this lady and now she's not there anymore so now they're only left with three charges.
1: Jeez, what a mess. Three. What what that's a mess yeah, that's
0: how Ace that's how ACE operates. ACE is always two <sighs> steps removed from anything. And so the one person who can always confirm him most of them are dead or are on his side firmly. And so Esma Khashule is a a gangster. Never forget that, right? He never forget that piece of information that he, from from Paris, he he, is feared, and he's feared for a reason. He's always two steps detached from anything that makes his hands dirty. So whenever you think they have him, laugh a little bit because they don't have
2: him. You know, one of the things I wish we would see with the NPA is a little bit of um, innovative thinking. And I, I just, you know, kind of think back to Rudy Giuliani as the, mm-hmm. <laughs> the uh, district attorney in New York. Mm-hmm. And his one of his biggest cases, actually, that made him was against gangsters. Mm-hmm. Mob bosses, and and what they did, what he and his legal team, because that's what the, the the district attorney is in in the states. It's the equivalent of what our, our
1: prosecutors, did, yeah,
2: <clears throat> is here, and and they went to a university professor, a law professor, and and kind of worked with him to say, how do we get these guys? Because what one of the things we do know about the mob is there, as you say, Ace is the mob, right? <laughs> is one one removed from everything and they specifically worked out a a strategy a legal strategy to to be able to to get these guys and that's how they did it and they dismantled the stranglehold of the of the mob so well, it's
1: like uh, i know, wish
2: they would do that too
1: if you're dealing with gangsters i mean how did they get al capone it yeah. was it was tax evasion it was a small tax it
2: wasn't but, it wasn't murder it yeah. wasn't it wasn't any of the big things that you kind of but,
1: but you know so. but anthea this is interesting because and i see you smiling there like the one department that seems to be still functioning better than any other is uh, the p- department under your friend uh, your former colleague and someone who you've spoken to many times edward Kisvetter, sars seems to know. Know what they're doing sars could go after ace if they had the will and they could easily put him in jail god knows they put away people for tax evasion and call them in for meetings uh, at the drop of a hat they're looking for tax money anyway right
3: sure so i saw edward sitting in um not parliament yesterday um very proud of himself because he got a mention that uh, sars was doing particularly well on the collection but i do know edward and i know that he's incredibly busy just chasing down, uh, tax evasion. Mm-hmm. Now, whether it's the Ace Macher Schulas or the tobacco companies or, you know, smaller mining companies or whatever the case may be, I, you, you do make a good point that perhaps that could be the route to go. And I don't see why not. You, you make such a good point. It, you don't have to get him on massive corruption charges. You just have to get him on something, right?
1: Yeah, precisely. And, and, and they've got to know some of that. They've, I mean, they tried to get him on that Pirney of Painting, but it turned out that that wasn't his fault. <laughs> he was, that, was the, that was the one thing he was not guilty of. And again, many people, including me, had to issue apologies for that. But Leto, you really are in the center of the storm there. And I know that the free state is the center of the country, but look how much news is going on in your little province at the moment.
0: Yes, because my little province is, is both, has both the potential to be something great, and has way too many idiots in power to be great, and so that's the problem. Mm. Um, and you know, w- with the ANC situation, this province was to make or break Cyril's um, contention for the next round mm. to 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 his election. And so um, he had all of his people in line, including Duquana, who he was literally paying a salary to for like two years when he was suspended by Ace. And so all of these people we coming into the convergence of Ace. and so now everyone is now um, is is suddenly worshiping at the temple of Cyril. Um, and the people here that they that they are their backbones could be bananas for all we care because <laughs> they, if you if you're going to give them anything, Gareth, if you're about to run and you. Are promising them jobs, you would probably um, be in contention for president of of the ANC right now, and so that's the problem. It's people are so poor in this province. If you throw a little money at them, they could literally just back you. Nkululeko Duquana is giving his backing to Cyril because Cyril was giving him ten thousand rand a month when he was suspended.
2: What that, do you think? That, wow. what, what do you think Cyril's one one billion rand campaign funding would buy was him. all about? Yeah for the internal campaigning, by the way. It wasn't mm-hmm. spent on the national campaign, don't do It was spent on an internal campaign. One of the things yep. we're not talking about that is in very little media is the killing fields that KZN and the Eastern Cape branches have become. Once again, it's almost like back to the nineties, like an unidentified man Opens fire; three people dead in Bumalanga in a branch meeting happening in, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's a branch meeting and, that's happening. And the, worst,
1: uh, the worst part for me is this stuff doesn't even make the news anymore. Like nobody's even, yeah. nobody's even interested. You hear about these faction fights in the ANC. It's, it's outrageous what's going on. Even in Bumalanga, we stopped talking about long ago. <laughs> Remember when uh, Daweni Maslangu was in charge there and there was all that uh, stuff going on. And,
2: Guys, and I mean, that was a long time ago. And, and, and what that does is it unfortunately takes away the credibility of what mainstream media is, because then then it kind of makes you think, are they really two minions as everybody is calling <laughs> them? <you> know?
1: uh, <laughs> are, they, are, they,
2: are they suppressing this information because it's not good for Cyril or are they really not interested in this type of reporting? right Mm. so you're just like is that who they are is that what it's about and then when you hear enca is in another round of retrenchments yeah they've just they've just laid off
1: like 80 people enca so tell me what's going on in the media i mean that's an interesting discussion
2: because all that that does is it stretches the newsroom even further. So you've got even less people having to turn around the news cycle in an even faster time. Therefore they really don't have the time to chase down the stories. And also because accountants, they always get rid of the top, you know, of, yeah. of the top earners who happen to be the most experienced because they've been there so long. That's why they earn what they earn. And you're left with kids. Kids. Yeah who are not lot like Bakabatsu, <laughs> Bakaba, so who what? Who, I don't know that I should finish the task before I leave.
1: Yeah, but come on, give the That's guy a break. A... It's only his first week in the job, like it's only our finance minister's first uh, time at, at, at the podium delivering the budget. So, Anthea, <laughs> b- before we let you go, because I know Lito wants to go on to something uh, completely political, but is there anything else you want to throw in about the general state of markets? I mean, you know, where are people who want to hold on Forget about growing your money, because that's like a pipe dream for many people at the moment. They don't have any. But if you have a little bit of money, what do you want to put that into where it is as far out of the reaches of really terrible politicians as possible? And where you know that you've at least got enough to compete with inflation so that when you get old, you won't end up eating dog food. Let's be realistic for a second.
3: Sure. So our budget, which was very light on detail yesterday, um, was actually very well received by the market. And so the RAND strengthened. When I last saw it just around market close, it was below 15. OK, just below 14.99. So that was a good thing. And I don't. So it was a good response. People liked it, except I don't think the budget was good enough for the credit rating agencies to upgrade us. Um, they might put us onto stable from negative outlook, um, and so the, the outlook for markets in South Africa, unfortunately, I think, is still pedestrian to say the least. And now that the rand is a bit stronger, we really must think about sending money offshore. Now I know this is a very hard one to do because it costs money to do the exchange rate, to apply to SARS, to get an account, an offshore account, to invest offshore. Right? It, it takes. I, I would say probably 400,000 rand just to make it worth your while. And not yeah. everybody has half a million rand <laughs> lying around that they can invest.
2: That's not coming from saving you 350 uh, for nine months.
3: That's, there that's you go, it. right. <laughs> yeah. um, but, but if you're going to... And, and the other thing the finance minister didn't do was talk about these tax-free savings accounts, right? So in previous years, they've implemented it. They've upped the... Um, amount that you're allowed, which is now 36,000 rand per annum, to a maximum of 500,000 rand in over a lifetime. And if the government is going to give you a tax break, take it. Um, So I would say those two things is where you're looking at the moment. We're very heavily focused on thematic offshore investments at the moment, kind of, you know, healthcare. Um, Tech has taken a bit of a beating, but we do like the green economy and still a little bit of tech going forward. So, so that's where we're looking to invest. South Africa is very difficult. Mm. I mean, there's no reason why you shouldn't be buying government bonds. I don't think that the government is going, the South African government is going to default anytime soon. And if you're looking at the 10-year government bond, you're getting probably 9.75, 9.8 at the moment, percent per annum return. And that's not terrible in a market where yields are very low. And, and I think we might actually benefit from the fact that our government is paying so much for its debt because foreign investors will come to south africa looking for this yield and hopefully keep our currency strong so maybe there was some light at the end of the tunnel
2: yeah and well, it's not a train coming at us are
3: we sure are we sure hey
1: we, Maybe a different rail. <laughs> uh, Anthea, we do not sugarcoat things on the burning platform, but thank you very much. Anthea Gardner, always good to see you, and I know everybody loved seeing you again. Thanks for your um, analysis of the budget, and we'll chat soon.
3: Thank you very much. Great to see you guys. Bye. Awesome
1: stuff. Uh, so, Lieto, I know there's something on your agenda which is going to get everybody talking and, and this is something you specifically put into the menu for today. The commodification. Us. Ooh, listen. So this is the commodification of white fear and black historic pain. And I have a feeling that this is something which you're going to be able to unpack for us probably better than most. And I know that we're being duped by the politicians. I know that they're using this against us, but explain to me why it's something that you felt needed to be brought, brought up this morning and, and what the, the value of this is for politicians.
0: Um, you know, it, it has immense value, right? So let's look at the two sides. So what, what brought the idea to my mind was watching um the, the Afri Forum versus Julius Malema thing. And I don't care about the theatrics of who sat where and did what and said what, but what these two sides were holding was something very important when I looked at the debate was, it, it's, it's this expression of white fear, right? Where, especially the white people who aren't really in contact with black people on a daily basis, who would buy more and more into that idea that as a white person, I should be in fear for myself because any, at any moment, the the blacks could turn on me and eat me, right? And then on the other side, it's this expression of black pain and Mm. the exploitation of that pain for political gains and julius malema does it very very well right so let's start with that so julius malema begins from this place where he won has now become the sole expressor of black pain in the political space, right? Not even the PAC does it as well as he does. They were the monopoly on expressing black pain before, and now he is, right? He's even better at it than the ANC because what the ANC are doing now, they're just exploiting black pain, right? They're saying, I remember, you could just fall back into apartheid without us. But what he does is he rehashes what the pain comes from in history. right? But the way in which he packages it is very, very unique and very special. We must look at it very carefully. Because he doesn't um, thrust it towards anger, like everyone expects him to do. People think he thrusts it towards anger. But what he does is he, he expresses it and expresses the discontent and then says, I am the only person who can make you content from your black pain. He alleviates it and says, don't be angry. We won't be angry. We won't retaliate. And he even says this to to that effect, to to the lawyer. yes no 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 he says it's not even unless things change he says unless we change things Mm. right he's very careful about that verb he says unless the eff comes in and changes things the blacks could revolt the blacks could want revenge and the blacks could want to come eat you alive and he even says these very blacks will even come eat me alive if i don't serve them the justice that they deserve and so he becomes this person who paints himself as the only one who understands, but on the other side can 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 um, can express it effectively, and I think yeah. that's very important. I think black pain.
1: Sorry, yeah. I, I just want to throw in. I think there's also a bit of savior complex going on here because he realizes that if he puts himself at the center of this, then he can benefit on one hand from from the the amount of attention which he he gets outsized attention. I was talking to people just last night at dinner about how this guy maybe at a push gets ten percent of the people in this country uh, moving, you know, he, he can, he can activate maybe 10% of the population, but he gets enormous attention. The media are obsessed with him. Uh, and what you're saying, Lieto, that he's, he's positioned himself in such a way that he's important to both his perceived enemies and his perceived friends, and even the people who don't care about him. Exactly.
2: What um, fascinates me, you know, about, about Julius Malema uh, and the EFF then, you know, is that a lot of people recognize that about the way that they are positioning themselves. So when I have a fight with my employer, I will contact the EFF, the bunch. they're coming up with, you, you know what I'm saying? And they, uh, they right. kind of jump on yeah. those things. They And they jump on those things, whether it is a small fight in, in a click store because of shampoo, uh, was it shampoo condition i don't remember but oh it's it's kind of in a, a and that's one of the judgments against them was if they want to be a union and represent workers in disputes in the workplace then they must register themselves as such right that was one of the judgments uh, against them but those same people Are not showing up as much for them in the in the polls which is why they they kind of are still hovering around the 10 percent you know plateaued essentially as it were their rate of growth is 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 not as high as it was at the very beginning when they started so there, there is also that playing up you know we often think that citizens and the electorate can easily be fooled By by all these theatrics of the politicians, but I, you know, I think that they know how to use what they need at the time of need. No, but I think
0: Julius actually counts on that. He counts on the little people supporting him, right? Because he can then create a sort of mystery of the zeitgeist to say, "It's me and these few ten percent who understand, right? It's me and these few ten percent who are willing to act." And so the rest of you aren't willing to act on your pain because you're afraid, because you're too close to the master, because you are in, as he names it, a a, a class betrayer. Right? That's what he says. It, it, we, we betrayed the, the 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 lower classes. Right? And so that for him is the if Julius Rice now becomes the major opposition, I think he is going to lose a whole lot more of this this um, lustre for. For the action of of revolution because at that point more and more people are buying in and the question then is who who does julius become as a person at, uh, on the precipice right he now knows he's he's far enough to to spew whatever he wants to spew and we won't really hold him that much to account for it because we're still saying he's the small party and he mm-hmm. counts on that
2: he, he, Julius is what um, in in the heat of the anti apartheid movement and kind of like. The, the, small running battles that existed is what they call a paper tiger. I yeah. want to remind you all, well, Julius is 40 years old, eh? Mm-hmm. 40 <laughs> years old. <laughs> so, Julius <laughs> comes from Seseho, guys. Have you, any of you heard of a major confrontation in Seseho with uh, the police? Oh, you know, the, all of the heat of, of the 80s and, and the, the tear gases and the and the, the shootings in the streets were happening in townships like Kailicha, Langa, Soweto, Kwamashu, Guamashu, Guamakuta. Have any of y'all heard of any of that shit happening in Sisekho? I would bet you that if there was tear gas in the streets, Julius Malema would be found shivering in the fetal position in the corner.
0: Right. And so I think also that the most crucial part is that all of this, right, even with the with the white fear, that white people who are in contact with black people on a daily basis, if you work with black people in the workplace, you now know that I'm not about to be eaten at any second, because when you're with black people, they tell you, oh, yeah, I've been mugged like 10 times already. They hijacked me. They took my car. And so you understand that crime is crime in this country. But then the, the fear is is very good like if you come to places in the free state there are white people who last met a black person except for the person who works on their farm who last met a black person 10 years ago who they can have a conversation with and so it, we get um sort of debased into these extremes that get exploited for one on the on the one side of this white fear which is money and donations on the other side is polite political capital for people who try to express um black pain, right? And so those two places, I think, like always, would be would be negated by the center. All the normal South Africans who meet and clash against each other. Um, if I f- have an argument with Gareth right now, I wouldn't go and say, just like the people who do Gareth dirty on Twitter, if he has an argument with a black person racist, mm-hmm. right? But if we have an argument now. We understand that we're trying to reconcile a position. Maybe you hold a certain position, I hold one. Yes. And the argument is what is going to reconcile the two positions that, are, that might be extreme to something more moderate, right? We don't go to calling each other racist in the normal spaces that we occupy. And I think when we think about it, every time you think that something is, is too extreme, find your opposite talk because conversations in this country I think don't happen enough and don't happen as honestly as we think they should and these extremes are starting and there's such great TV though these extremes you you look at um Julius on the stand giving his, his speech about how um you know you are settlers you came here you we're, were not neighbors we're this we're that and you start to think that that is South Africa
1: yeah. Right. Correct. And it isn't and, and
0: Julius and, and Afri Forum are definitely not South Africa.
1: But, you know, Leto, I was watching some of that and what I found really interesting, too, was this is one of the few occasions where politicians and, and this goes for all politicians, but it, especially those ones who use rhetoric and who never really account for themselves. They're never forced to actually explain their position on anything. I mean, when Julius is put in a position where he has to explain what he means by something like kiss the boer or kill the boer or whatever, he finds himself very, um, he, he's almost incapable of actually defining, of, of sticking to a, a, a and explaining his, his very deeply held beliefs and values. I don't think he has any. Like a lot of politicians, he Julius, will go, he will go whichever way the wind blows. And when he's forced in a court of law to account for himself, and this is the case for many politicians, it's just nice to see it happening to Julius because he's got a big mouth. When we see this happening, we suddenly see how shallow these people really are.
0: No, no, because they're never forced to explain. Yeah. If you're a politician in South Africa, you're never forced to explain. Well, the media so, never
1: the media never ask follow up questions.
0: You remember I showed you the picture of our mayor, the one where he's standing with guns, uh with people standing in front of him, and he's uh, he's standing with two gunmen behind him, right? That's yes. the literal yes. picture of what South Africa is. You go to a small town, you say, "Hey, comrades, we're going to win. Mm. We're going to give you jobs, and they say, Yay. <laughs> and nobody ever says How can we How are you going to give us jobs? Mm. If if I'm in Valcom, how are you going to create jobs? There are no mines anymore. What are you saying, right? And so whenever a politician in South Africa is asked questions, it gets very tough, right? Because you then have to explain what this position of, of... that you sort of fell into. Most politicians fall into these positions and then have to build up this rhetoric after they're in the position, right? And so that's the problem. You now have to explain your facade, right? Why Why do you say these things? And so then they start to flounder. And like like our former president said, they me- meandos, they meandos. <laughs> they, they meander around what the facts are.
2: But Julius is also an agent provocateur, guys. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he is the classic. And if if like somebody came like five years, ten years from now, whatever, somebody came to say Julius had always been a, a spy. You know, he's always been paid to do this kind of work. I totally will buy that conspiracy theory. The man, on one day, he stands for this. Two weeks down the line, he stands for exactly the opposite of that. And and And, and at any time. But also he has all of those landmarks you know all of those hallmarks he likes fancy clothes and fancy watches he you know he is totally the kind of person that you could buy to be an agent of chaos he is totally the kind of person you would buy to be an agent he was
0: already bought ask tabo he was already being bought to be an agent of chaos ask Mm -hmm. tabo Mbeki, you remember what he was for jacob zuma he was the ultimate pitbull he ripped Tabombeke and his allies to shreds. Right. Because he was born.
1: He was, instru- A brown envelope he was, also, was given. He was also instrumental in, in bringing about the fall of Tabombe, and, and in no small part Julius Malema made his name during that time.
0: Yep, that's what he did, and that is how he was bought. Most of him getting money. Remember, at the time at which he was attacking um Tabo was when he started getting fat. If you look at him, he, he started gaining weight. <laughs> That's when the brown envelope. Is that below. what you said? Mm-hmm. Did you say getting yes. fat? <laughs> yeah. You yes. started getting fat during yes, that time. Yes, That's right. <laughs> for me. I, I started getting fat. I, I I never I didn't always look like this. I was a skinny guy with a six-pack. I started gaining weight when I had a job, when I started getting money. And Julius, like any other poor child in this country, starts gaining weight right. when he's got money. So great. Where did he get money? Brown envelope. <laughs> <laughs> and where did you get that? What does the money result in when you're poor? In the first year, two years? It results in fat. That's why I go to the gym now.
1: All right. I'm afraid. That on that very controversial note, we going to- I
2: have to ask one question. I have <laughs> we're to ask one question. Go ahead. G Star on the comments was suggesting that I need to read something called People War. And I'm wondering if maybe it was a trigger error and you are talking about the Maoist uh, strategy called People's War. And I just mm. wanna make sure that like I just let me know if that's what you're talking about. G Star people war you say is it people war people's war you people's literally war, have like okay. 30 seconds to get it right because if it is people's war then they've done that
0: okay um yeah so let's you know just a final <laughs> message is that we are we are south africa they're not they are people who benefit from our degrees of separation whenever you think you are better than somebody else or you are worse off than somebody else because of who they are there's somebody who will try to um, um, benefit of that especially these half brain politicians that we have um, so try your best to moderate your views meet other people talk to those people debate them hear their views and this country would be much better for. but
1: let your most people are those people and most people like okay. to have conversations like we're having this morning and they're not fighting we're not at each other's throats like every forum and julius malema are and i agree with you like let's stop using the things that we've all been through as a nation and particularly our, our racial memory, our fear, our, 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 our uh, guilt, our issues of, of, of victimization and all the rest of it. Let's, let's stop using those things as fuel for division and let's use it as a way to get things together and to start things moving. Because, my God, we're not going to go anywhere forward if we're constantly looking back. Very nice to have you on, man. Always good to see you. Thank you, Leto. Thank you for having me. Great day, everyone. Sis Pumi, we will see you next week. Next week. And, and I'll
2: be in front of the blue wall, hopefully, in my own damn house.
1: Magic. Don't work too hard there, Pums. And we will see you tomorrow morning on cliffcentral.com. Have an excellent Thursday. Cheers, everybody.
3: Cliffcentral.com.